1: Welcome back into the Lions 24 7 podcast. The regular season is over, but we are with you year round here, Sean and I, uh, bringing you the latest on bowl predictions. The college football playoff uh, structure is going to be finalized on Sunday. We'll have a conversation with Chris Summer, who is a national college football reporter for 24 7 sports. He'll give us his uh, thoughts on some of these conference championship games, who's going to be those top four on Sunday, and additionally, what makes James Franklin such a hot commodity on the head coaching market as college football teams look to fill leadership roles. We also get in a little bit of a transfer portal conversation as well, but first, Uh, Sean, Penn State's season is in the books in terms of the regular season. We broke down that Rutgers matchup from Beaver Stadium on Saturday afternoon, uh, pushed the team to 10-2 with a 27-6 victory over the Scarlet Knights. If you want to hear more on that matchup, I'm not sure why you would, but that's on our most recent episode. Sean, moving ahead, it's all about what's next for Penn State. Uh, We figure it's a marquee bowl. We just don't know where we're booking our plane flights to just yet. Just
2: sitting back and enjoying the chaos of championship week. Obviously, they'd like to be in Indy, but uh, still a pretty good spot for Penn State to be in. Number 10 in the college football playoff rankings. Behind Florida, but still above uh, Alabama and Auburn. I think those are the the, the ones that you're watching close enough or closely if you're penn State in this last set of rankings so it should be fun to see where they they end up uh still some really good bowls on the table um not uh, you know aside from all calamity I mean rose Bowl is still there cotton bowl is still there orange bowl is still there Outback bowl uh outback is how we pronounce it uh is, uh is still on the table so a lot of uh, intrigue left to happen but there's still some football to be played before they get there so we'll see we'll, we'll sit back and, and see what happens on championship weekend.
1: We've got some speculation to get to in terms of postseason stuff. We've got we to love talk. speculation. Oh right. yeah, oh yeah, it drives the show. Um, and additionally, we're going to talk about some All Big Ten accolades that were handed out to several Penn State players. Uh, a transfer portal update regarding a prominent member of the Penn State roster. We'll get to all that in just a moment. First, allow me to do some site promotion. We have a deal up right now. New annual subscribers can hop on board for fifty percent off. Uh, through Monday, this upcoming Monday, which is December 9th, um, and that goes for monthly uh, members of our site as well. You can upgrade to an annual membership for half off that price for 12 months. So wanted to get that out there to our listeners. What happened while we've been away? Well, quite a bit. Uh, the Penn State uh, board uh, has a interesting meeting coming up Friday, as it turns out, Sean.
2: Yeah, how about that? Uh, on the heels of yet another coaching search with James Franklin involved, uh heavily this time with Florida State Um, They're going to meet and probably going to extend his contract. I say probably. I do expect them to do that. It's just kind of a way of leaving myself and out there. Um, But yeah, I expect to see some sort of extension. Uh, This is something that we reported on earlier in the week when there was a lot of that smoke about Florida State, whether or not he met with them or not. Um, We had heard that he did not meet with them on Sunday um, in New York City when he was up there for the Giants game, Um, still involved with negotiations with Penn State. Florida State, from what I understand, came after him very hard. Uh, made you know some 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 very good uh, offers on the table but you know I, I don't think this was the job for him to begin with I know there's been speculation about USC and maybe some other places down the line um, but this seems like that the one that uh, you know, it kind of pushed this new extension across the table. Uh, I think he's going to get a raise. I think he's going to get, uh, you know, a lot of what he was looking for in terms of uh, commitment for the program, commitment for funding facilities, all that kind of stuff in writing this time. And I think that's going to help. But uh, yeah, James is looking at a nice little salary bump. Uh, I, I guess he, he has the Seminoles to
1: thank and I guess Willie Taggart by extent, by extension. Mark Brennan has a story up on lines 24-7, uh, giving you more details on this. Uh, just a few bullet points here. Uh, the Board of Trustees is set to commence uh, this conference call Friday afternoon around 3 p.m. Eastern time. So uh, we'll be ready to handle any news that maybe surfaces from that uh, but again, signs seem to indicate James Franklin sticking around. By the way, Southern Cal retaining Clay Helton, so keep that one on the back burner until that, they're considering. Man. That's uh, until, yeah. It, it's, I know. I know. You we're kind of like looking next at next it. November, from a it's going to be the same conversation.
2: Yeah, we're kind of looking at it from a different angle because Franklin's name's been brought up, but. Uh, USC just kind of torpedoed their recruiting class uh, for the last couple of months, just kind of sitting in limbo. And now all of a sudden, I yeah. think they're in the 60s right now in the 24/7 Sports rankings. And that uh, that job is not as 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 pretty as you would think it would be. It's not pretty as it should be because it's one of, in, in my eyes, one of the best uh, uh, programs in college football. So I mean, it's just uh, it's crazy to think about how far they've gone and how far they're willing to go with Clay Helton, Uh, you know, at this time next year, maybe we're having the same conversation. But uh, until then, that's uh, that's a crazy situation, man.
1: Yeah, they're 8-4, and four. they're number 22 right now in the rankings, and it does feel like it's very cyclical with USC right now, where we're going to be having the same kind of speculative talk after they pick up their first two or three losses in 2020, and people are going to want to change, and uh, Steve Sarkeesian found himself on the hot seat very quickly, Lane Kiffin feels like spent half of his tenure on the hot seat, and the Pete Carroll era feels a long way away. But here it's the James Franklin era. We'll keep you posted if that is set to continue into the foreseeable future. Um, additionally, uh, the new college football playoff poll came out Tuesday night. Obviously, at this point, we're not looking at that for Penn State from a playoff perspective. Uh, they stay at number 10 uh, despite a less than stellar effort against Rutgers. Uh, they do move behind the Florida Gators who jump up to number 9. In the process, though, they move behind. Past uh, Minnesota uh, who've lost at home uh, to Wisconsin. Wisconsin punching their ticket to the Big Ten championship game. But, Sean, here they are situated at the top ten. Um, and if you want to go to the Rose Bowl, I know a lot of people are trying to explore that path to Pasadena where Penn State went out in 2016. Um, it, it is the granddaddy of them all. It's probably the most premier thing they can attain in the postseason at this stage and prestigious um, but you, you got to be a little bit of a Buckeyes fan this Saturday. I'm sorry to say for those Nindy Lions fans out there.
2: Well, I don't think you have to go that far, but you got you got to root for Ohio State to win this game. Root
1: against Wisconsin, maybe that's the and, better way to put it. <laughs> and a,
2: a lot of people are saying, you know, if Wisconsin plays it close, and I get that, and I think that's a you know it's it's a legitimate argument. But what is playing Ohio State close? Penn State played them, um, you know, eleven points. So uh, to me, anything above that eleven points, you got to go with Penn State to the Rose Bowl. I don't. I know it's not that simple, and I know the the, the Big Ten, you know, has some sway into this. But uh, man, that's a, it's going to be tough to turn around, especially when you say, you know, and I. I know Wisconsin went out and, and beat Minnesota pretty badly last weekend, but you turn around and you look at Wisconsin's losses, a blowout to Ohio State, and that loss to Illinois is that's yeah, gotta be a killer right there. Um, because you know, Penn state's losses to Ohio state to a top 20 Minnesota team, a, a Minnesota team that's going to end up in the top 20. Um, you, you I think you got a, a better argument with a two loss team with those losses. And I think that's why Penn state's so high. So Wisconsin at number eight right now, I think that, you know, if they do lose, I do think they drop just below Penn state. And I think that, you know, it's, it's not the be all end all and say that Penn state's definitely going to go to the Rose bowl. But if you're, if you're handicapping this, I think it's gotta be odds on favorite. Is the Rose Bowl right now?
1: Yeah, and if you're looking at the scoreboard uh, on Saturday night in third quarter and it's showing Ohio State up by four or five touchdowns, then you're probably feeling pretty good about Penn State's chances to go to Pasadena. On the other hand, if if it's in the fourth quarter and this one's a one possession game hanging in the balance. That's not what people are expecting, and that's not what Ohio State has encountered really at any point this season. A little bit of a scare from Penn State in the second half there, of course, but uh, you know we'll see how that one shapes up. We talked about this before coming on because I wanted to make sure my facts were right because the bowl stuff can go all over the place. There's a bunch of different avenues. Hypothetically, if Penn State were to miss out on the Rose Bowl um, in a situation where, situation where Wisconsin pulled off an upset in Indianapolis, or let's say Wisconsin lost by three points in Indianapolis and the committee deems them more worthy of a, of a higher ranking than Penn State. Then you look at a couple other at-large bids that are out there, uh, the Cotton Bowl down in Arlington, Texas, uh, and then additionally the Orange Bowl in Miami, Florida, Sean. And then if somehow you are held out of all the year six action, I don't think that will be the case. Then you're looking at a return trip uh, to Florida, uh, maybe the Citrus Bowl, but more likely the Outback Bowl in Tampa.
2: Yeah, with the way that things are set up, I mean, they were in in, in Orlando last year for the Citrus Bowl. You typically don't see them stacked two years in a row. The Outback hasn't had Penn State for a long time. The Outback would love to have Penn State um, come down for, I I think it's been since the McGloin years since they were there. Um, So I think Outback is there. And then uh, the funny thing about that is, you know, if you go to the Orange Bowl, you're probably drawing Virginia, which, you know, it. It's not the be- the most marquee matchup, but you know you can beat Virginia. You know it's it is what it is. But you go to the Outback Bowl, all of a sudden you're you're talking Alabama or Auburn. Now, granted, this is when you want to play Alabama uh, because you know they're they're going to have guys sit out. They don't have a quarterback uh, start their starting quarterback to uh, obviously wouldn't uh, come back for the uh, for that game. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's going to be, uh, it'd be interesting to see if they did draw an Alabama in the Outback Bowl. It'd be good for ratings. It would be good for for Penn State, I think, because they would match up pretty well, depending on how many guys sit out for Alabama. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's interesting because the lower you go, I think the, the, the tougher the schedule gets
1: the first time that that Alabama will be not involved with the college football playoff since the college football playoff came into existence. It's a pretty remarkable run and very strange to see Alabama there at number 12 with a double digit number to the left of its name. And uh, as you said, I think whoever does play Alabama this year in the postseason, if it were Penn state, that would be interesting. It would be obviously a win to point to all through the off season on the recruiting trail we beat Alabama. We beat Alabama. We beat Alabama. You probably don't want to get into the finer details because we haven't seen Alabama deal with players skipping out for first-round status and NFL opportunities. Uh, when it's the postseason and you have a chance to win the college football championship, different story than you know saving all your strength for for a game in Orlando or a game in Tampa that ultimately is a glorified exhibition. So we'll see how hey, Alabama hey, handles that. Watch your mouth when you're talking about the Outback Bowl. All right. <laughs> oh, I right. I'm all I'm all on board for any of these trips. That uh, don't get me wrong Sean but uh, we'll talk about whoever the opponent is next week on our next episode because we will know by then the dust will be settled on Sunday we'll know the four college football playoff teams Sean and I will actually give you our predictions on that a little bit later on in the show and we'll also know the bowl destinations for everybody speaking of NFL draft related decisions those Alabama players have a bunch of them coming up Penn State has a few notable ones that have already been determined uh, on Saturday, while we're sitting in the press conference, I, I know we touched on this in the post game, but. Pat Fryermuth announcing he will stick in Happy Valley. And then just a couple days ago on a Tuesday, Sean, it's been a wild week for, for player news, it feels like, Michael Mennett uh, pronouncing that he will be around for his red shirt senior season. Mennett, the top-ranked lineman on either side of the football to sign with Penn State this decade. I think some people kind of lose track of his prowess as a prospect. Uh, now in his second year as a starting center, and he's due for a third year in that role in 2020.
2: Yeah, I mean, getting getting Michael Mennon back, I think that's uh, that's huge uh, for this line next year. You look, you're going to lose Steven Gonzalez no matter what. Um, so you're gonna, you know, you're gonna shift Mike Miranda in there. You're gonna shift C.J. Thorpe over. You've got Caden Wallace coming back. There's so many pieces um, that are that are there to come back and adding a third-year starting center to that mix, uh, I I think can make a world of difference. I think Michael Mennett had a really good season. Saw him as he was an honorable mention pick this week for the All-Big Ten teams. I actually thought he had a better year than Steven Gonzalez, who's the second-team guy. Um, But, uh, yeah, really, really encouraged to see that coming back. And, you know, for this offensive line that's been a work in progress, that actually was pretty pretty good this year, um, for for this group that's been a work in progress for years, to have some continuity uh, after losing Bates and McGovern early last. Last year, you got Mennett coming back. Uh, You know, he's obviously a smart guy, athletic guy, uh, a guy that's going to be right in the mix for the Remington Trophy next year. Uh, It's just a huge thing for Penn State as they try to assemble pieces for another run in 2020.
1: And Fryermuth, who caught 26 passes as a freshman, 41 this year, really proved to be a security net uh, for Sean Clifford, especially third-down situations, a couple fourth-down situations, would often look to Pat Fryermuth to move the chains as reliable as a, a set of hands as you'll find on this roster and really among the players at his position in the country. Uh, we talked about that on the post-game podcast Saturday. A huge win for the 2020 outlook to have Fryermuth on board. You really wondered about his approach to the situation given the unique circumstances as a sophomore to have that opportunity to head to the exit door he will not do that and that's obviously a big boost for the offense next year one player who is making his way to the exits in Happy Valley is Itor Grossmatos announcing on Tuesday he will enter the 2020 NFL Draft following his junior season we did not see him on the field against Rutgers uh, an undisclosed injury coming off of that Ohio State game which by the way was one of the finest, finest of his college career two two sacks three and a half tackles for loss against the Buckeyes Um, hope you enjoyed that performance there's not many left he does say he intends to join the team for its bowl game so we'll see if he is on the field and ready to roll whenever that arrives assuming New Year's Day Um, but obviously this is something that we have projected really since he started to come on strong as a sophomore Sean the rating has been on the wall here for a while
2: yeah, he's been in those mocks for a long, long time. And that's one that we, you know, you kind of, before the season, you were you were slating him to go to the NFL. Uh, got a little bit of a wrap on his arm last week. I think he had it in a sling or just holding it up in his jacket, uh, his left arm. Um, so we'll see if he gets back for the bowl. Even if he does get back for the bowl, I, I don't see him playing a ton. I mean, you got to protect that draft status. James Franklin knows that um, for for a bowl game that's not a playoff game, a championship game. I mean, you can play him. There's there's ways of having him play in the game uh, that still kind of protect him. Plus, you want to get Jason Alway staffs. You want to get uh, you know Adisa Isaac's got some uh, extended work against Rutgers, so you want to get some some of those guys going through there. Um, we'll see how much he practices in December and how much he plays. But I think it's a really good gesture. Even you know even if you know you're not going to play much or the, the possibility is still there of not playing, I think it's a really good team gesture for Utah Grizzlies. Gross Matos to say that he's going to be back. Now, from his draft status, I mean, the, obviously the spring's going to be big for him. He had a good year. He didn't have the dominant year that I think people expected him to. I think the staff expected him to, um, but he still had a very good year. as finalist for the Hendricks Award, first team All-Big Ten. Uh, I think I know it kind of seemed like a letdown, um, but he still had a, a, a pretty good year. Uh, Scouts love the way that he moves. He's got that unique size. Uh, he's going to test well. I don't think he's going to test off the charts, but he's going to test well. Um, he's got a lot going for Character-wise, he's been productive at every level, every stop along the way. Um, so I'm really interested to see where he fits. Probably in the lower end of that first round. Obviously, Chase Young is going to be the first defensive end off the board, as he should be, should be. Epenesa is going to be in there as well. So um, you know, it, it, it's going to be a. a I, I see him as a first round pick right now. Um, I don't know how far he can fall, but I, I do see him as a first round pick, and I think it's the 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 right decision, regardless.
1: Yeah, you have to, I mean, that's the kind of grade that you have to jump at, uh, especially when you're in the trenches, taking that kind of beating on, on a game-by-game basis. And uh, yeah, so far what I've seen, you know, he's in the teens, you know, low 20s, and there's a long way to go. And We'll see how he does in the Combine. Sean Spencer. Hey, by, by, uh, by the way, uh, the, the
2: yeah. response he got on Twitter, uh, I did not expect. It, it's something that we've seen from guys that, that, that will go to the NFL. Um, he put out that he was going, and usually you get, uh, you're not ready. This isn't it. Uh, the re- The results were overwhelmingly positive. And after what we've been talking about most of the last month, I didn't know if I expected that to happen. <laughs> so kudos to those that uh, responded in a positive manner. Positivity will go a lot longer or a lot further than, uh, you know, whatever else you could have said to uh, Mr. Gross Matos at that point in time.
1: And I do think part of that is because the fan base has had a while now to brace itself for this decision. It wasn't one that came out of the blue. Um, and the Pat Friermuth Fr- development was a lot more uh, of, a, of a slap in the face, I think. People were like, whoa, what's going on here? We might lose Pat Friermuth. I think people have digested for a while now that Gross Matos, if he stayed healthy, um, and obviously he hasn't stayed completely healthy, but if, as long as he sta- avoided a major critical injury that he was going to be uh, probably on his way out of campus, and, and we'll see how it shapes up for him. Uh, hopefully we'll have another chance to see him. In his absence uh, against Rutgers, Jason Owe, a retro freshman, got his first start uh, of his career opposite of shaka tony now who else are we waiting on in terms of nfl draft announcements the list has to begin with kj hamler back-to-back seasons leading penn state in receptions one of the more dynamic threats in all of college football he's the punt returner for this team He is the kick returner for this team and he's the guy who often makes them go and comes up with big plays uh, have not heard from kj to this point uh, but you certainly have to wonder given his success His speed and and obviously he's not a guy that's going to grow up uh, physically to be much bigger than he is now. So NFL scouts, I think, have a pretty good indication of who he is. And obviously it is hard to coach that level of quickness that he brings to the table. Yeah, I think you can
2: make arguments on both sides, which is why I lean go at this point, because usually when you can make arguments on both sides, you know, the going, I'm not going to say it's safer, but it seems like the more uh, used outlet. So um, Hamler, I think uh, you watch this draft class and it's a really, really good draft class for receivers, uh, including slot receivers. Um, Chennault from Colorado, I think is probably the number one guy, but Hamler can slide into, I don't know, he's probably a third round guy right now, Um, you know, but that's uh, still a pretty good spot. So, for a guy that's uh, you know had the ACL injury, he, he's probably you know we don't have documented concussions, but it's been obvious that, that there's been times that he's been knocked out of games. Um, but uh, for for that size, I don't I don't know how much more he can do at the college level in terms of preparation. I think if he goes out there, we saw he's got a four two seven on the board at, at Penn State. If he goes out there and runs something close to that, it's going to bump him up a little bit. But uh, yeah, I think uh, I I I think you make arguments on both sides, and usually when you can do that. He's probably uh, probably lean go, but you know Penn State would love to have him back. If they did get him back, it's a, it's obviously a big piece of the puzzle for 2020. You've got so much uh, coming back and going for you in that regard. Otherwise, uh, so we'll see what happens. So uh, that's one that's that, that, that we're kind of waiting on. I know the staff's kind of waiting for it. Um, you know they want him back, but uh, it doesn't always happen
1: spoke with a buddy of mine who has spent time in, in a couple of different NFL scouting departments. And, and, you know, he, he seems to think that this wide receiver class is especially stacked. And in, in terms of you may be able to find first round value in the third round, late in day two, at that position, a big part of that is this junior class, and and you know he's a redshirt sophomore, but he's part of that uh, that group, and uh, so we'll see. That's also something to consider. I really don't know what next year's wide receivers class looks like, and if that's a risk he's willing to take. Let's also remember KJ Hamler suffered a very significant injury uh, before you know at the very start of his senior year, and that was not that long ago. So how does that play into this whole situation? Uh, we'll we'll learn more on KJ when he's ready to tell us more. Um, some other names on defense i'll start with shaka tony uh, you're already losing one starting defensive end you know tony a uh, second team all big 10 performer we'll get to all those all big 10 accolades in a moment uh but, but he's one that obviously jumps out to me he's got that uh that athleticism that people covet off the edge but y- you do wonder if he could come back even put put it more together as a fifth year senior next year and build up on that stock
2: Shaka had a really good year as, as an all-around defensive end. I mean, that's kind of the, what we were pushing uh, going into the season in terms of playing the run. I uh, don't know that he got the the explosive pass rush plays. I know he had a the really good game against was Purdue. Um, earlier this year, but still, uh, once again, arguments on both sides. Uh, I do tend to lean that he he would go as well, but uh, you never know. He's probably a three-four edge rusher at this point. Uh, again, he's going to test very well. His vertical is going to be off the charts. He moves laterally very very well. Um, so we'll see where he he lands. Um, you know, this is something that I think he's been thinking about for a long time. I think he came into the year the, with the mindset that he was probably going to uh, test the waters after this season. So I think. That that's a perfectly logical
1: conclusion to make. That uh, this one is still very much up in the air. A couple true junior defensive backs to throw your way here, Sean, because they finished the season maybe with different trajectories. Uh, and Tariq Castro fields starting cornerback, a guy who's been heavily involved in the secondary since his freshman year in 2017. Uh, we saw him miss the Rutgers game as well as Ithor Grosmatos. Um, and we also saw him certainly struggle a bit. And, 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 you know, we don't know all the defensive ramifications that that may have impacted him in past coverage, but uh, he certainly had his issues in November, to say the least. And then you have Lamont Wade at safety, a first-year starter, another guy who played as a true freshman in 2017 and then spent his sophomore year, you know, working through that adjustment to safety from cornerback, admittedly losing a lot of his confidence. But he says that confidence is back, I think you could see it often on the field. We know he is also a father. I don't think that's something that we can just ignore. Um, really curious to see how both of these guys handle what they're going to encounter with this decision.
2: Yeah, I think so, and I think I think Wade will come back. I think it's a little bit uh, more gray for C- Castro Fields because Castro Fields does have the size that that, that Wade doesn't have. So um, I think I think it would serve Castro Fields well to come back. Um, you know, you know, you don't really all, often want to say that uh, just sweeping about somebody, but the way that he ended the year, I think we, we saw some really good things early on in the season from him uh, in in run defense and in, in some man to man stuff. But yeah, he he, he was caught. Uh, caught cheating a little bit, uh, caught out and about, uh, freewheeling a little bit, and it really didn't help uh, help the way that he looked. So not, uh, I don't think he was as bad as some of the people on our board thought he was, uh, but still, I, I think he can improve a lot. I think both of those guys coming back would, would, would go a long way for both of them.
1: Go a long way for them, and go a long way for that Penn State secondary. We talked about some of the young talent they have, but uh, being able to bring both of those players back would be pretty darn uh, good for reinforcing what they have moving forward. The other name to to, to mention here, Sean, and I know, uh, you know may surprise some people to hear this one, but last year we had a couple surprises on the offensive line, not necessarily surprises, but guys who left early, uh, Connor McGovern ended up being a third round pick. Ryan Bates went undrafted, although he did land on an active roster with the Buffalo bills this season. Each of those guys for uh, decided to forego their final season at Penn state, Will Fries now faces a similar situation. He's played a lot of football for the Nittany Lions at both tackle positions. Guy was the full-time starter on the right side here as a redshirt junior, and he too has that opportunity if he so chooses to turn pro.
2: Well, first off, I I think it's a disservice to Fries to talk about his entire season uh, with you know with with the focus of just that Ohio State game. Now, number one, that's going to point out a lot of his shortcomings, so that's going to hurt him in the draft process, but he played pretty well uh, other than the Ohio State game. So there's kind of uh, column A, column B, you take a little bit from each, um, but yeah, struggling against Chase Young, who most most people struggle against, but yeah, I think he could, I think he would be better served coming back, putting together a, uh, a complete season. Um, it's just, I don't know that there's enough out there that would make him a draftable guy right now. I mean, Ryan Bates went out there last year and didn't get drafted. You now he eventually did catch on um, fries in a similar situation where he's been good at times, um, hasn't been overly dominant. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it might be a learning, uh, a learning example. I think another thing there is he saw Steven Gonzalez have a similar uh um, trajectory last year in which he was fine you know he was good uh, but he didn't really uh, he, he wasn't overly dominant And he came back for a senior year had a good senior year and now all of a sudden Gonzalez is on the on the radar as a guy that can be drafted so I, I think Fries is a guy that comes back um, you know th- there's always that caveat that he's played a lot of football but I think Fries, Fries is a guy that comes back and if he does that really solidifies things up front uh, going into 2020.
1: Yeah, Des Holmes, Caden Wallace waiting in the wings at offensive tackle. Rasheed Walker, of course, a redshirt freshman, handled himself very well on the left side this year. And if Fries were to come back, you're looking at only replacing one player on this offensive line. Uh, Steven Gonzalez, who has been entrenched at guard since 2016, a long time. Uh, but you like what you've got. You've got two guys that, that gained a lot of experience at right guard this year with Miranda and Thorpe. Um, Anthony Wigan has spent a year developing as a redshirt, coming by way of, of, of the junior college route. So uh, they have opportunities. Options there. Bryce Eftner is another name to know, Uh, but we'll we'll look ahead and and we'll have answers here. It's nice to get these answers early though, because last year I was waiting in the airport in Orlando, Sean, the day after the bowl, and we're like handling and juggling all these announcements. So hey, we appreciate the early uh, updates, and I'm sure the Penn State coaching staff does as well.
2: Yeah, you got an idea. I mean, what, uh, two weeks until signing day. So you got an idea of what you're playing with, with numbers and, and every little bit helps when you're trying to forecast that stuff. So yeah, I think it's usually what January 5th or something like that, where this kind of avalanche hits you and all of a sudden you've got every story running uh, back to back to back to back a little bit of that this year. But, uh, you know, it was a nice little, uh, uh, it was a nice little run in waves this
1: year. Well, we will extend the will he stay or will he go conversation to the transfer portal. Because as we referenced last episode, Justin Shorter, uh, last Tuesday, entering the portal. It was right before we recorded uh, our most recent regular podcast, not including the post game um, edition. Uh, the very next day on Wednesday, he was off of the Penn State roster. And, and to me, that goes in line with what James Franklin said this summer in Chicago at Big Ten Media Days. Uh, if you declare for the portal... You are not going to be considered. Yo, you are welcome back to the team, but it's going to be on the team's terms. And if you're looking, we're looking, and swiftly removed from the roster.
2: Yep, uh, that's that's where it stands right now. Shorter was not with the team for the Rutgers game. Was not at practice, uh, and for all intents and purposes, not not with the team right now. So, uh, do I think they would take him back? Yeah, I think they would entertain the uh, the. The prospect of it, because Shorter is a tremendously talented individual now, he's he's still raw, he's still a ways from where he needs to be as a receiver, he's obviously a ways from where we rated him as a receiver, um, but I do think that he's a guy that will develop later in his career. Will that be at Penn State? I would tend to lean no just based off of how things have gone so far, but uh, really doesn't seem to have a plan. There's been no visits or anything like that that have leaked out. So, not sure where that stands. Kind of taking a step back from it. Uh, of course, you know, Penn State was off all last week, so he wouldn't have missed any classes, but. Nothing that we've heard seems to indicate that, you know, he's back or anything like that. So it be, really be, be really interesting to see how this is handled because I, I don't think he's looking to, you know, drop down and go uh, a lower level. I don't think it's a, an issue where he wants to be closer to home or anything like that, but... Uh, you know, it, it could mean a lot of things because it's it's the year, the time of year where everybody's talking about scholarship numbers, everybody's talking about how they can fit in. And really, very rarely guys move up and make a big impact. And I think that, you know, a couple of guys are few and far between, and that's kind of helped influence um, some other guys that think that they can do that when that's not necessarily the case. So I, I I don't know where this one's going to go. Uh, a slim chance of him getting back to Penn State. But I do think that that, that window would be open for Penn State to to say, hey, you know, you, you've got an opportunity here. You were a starter as a redshirt freshman. Uh, I'm not sure w- what they're looking for in terms of uh, spreading the ball around or, or getting starting position or going to a place that has depth or talent or anything like that. But keep on developing. See what can happen here because, you know, the door is open and he does not have to sit out a year if he stays at Penn State.
1: And as a reminder, last year we saw a couple Penn State players enter the portal before ending up back on the roster. Safety Lamont Wade, who we just mentioned, uh, had a, a third-team All Big Ten campaign, um, and then additionally, wide receiver Cam Sullivan-Brown, who's been banged up for, for much of his redshirt sophomore season. A quick note: if Shorter were to leave, we heard it during the Julian Fleming uh, commitment uh, and and the fallout from him going to Ohio State about him referencing Justin Shorter, and certainly he was hearing that from different sources. You'd have to imagine the Ohio state coaching staff and you know, people in other recruiting departments right now are able to point to this with wide receivers. And you know, you look at Joe Moorhead's last year, they had four players catch more than 50 passes. That was 2017. The last two years combined, they have one guy, KJ Hamler, who has gone over 50 passes. That was this year. Last year, they didn't have anyone go over 50 receptions. So Uh, There's an issue right now, and there's a pretty steep drop-off between Hamler the last couple years and any other wide receiver. Last year, the next most productive receiver, it was a tie. Jawan Johnson, DeAndre Tompkins both had 25 catches. This year, Jahan Dotson has 24 catches. So a far cry from the way we saw the ball spread around in large doses in 2017 and something that Ricky Ronnie, James Franklin, and Jared Parker are going to have to address this offseason, not just internally, but on the recruiting trail when discussions come up. No doubt,
2: no doubt. And when you're looking at twenty twenty and all we talk about all the pieces that are back in place, I mean you look back and you posted a thing this week on the on the uh, Big Ten championship game in twenty sixteen and you see Mike Gosicki going up and making plays and Black now making plays and you know, you, you talk about Godwin and, and the guys that they've had to go out and make those plays. Outside of Hamler and Friermuth, really nobody has really stepped up and made those plays. So I think that's a criticism that you have with with the current roster set up and looking into next year's, who's going to come back and be that guy? You hope Justin Shorter would be that guy. Didn't have the, uh, I guess, the... Uh, the dominant presence that you really hope that he would have. Dotson's been good in spurts, um, but I don't know that he's an overwhelming dominant player. Um, you know, so looking at twenty twenty, that's gonna be that's gonna be an interesting one because that wide receiver room. Uh, you know, they've got guys coming and there's there, there, there's reinforcements on the way. But are you ready to step in and play at a, a college football playoff level right now? And that is a big thing that I have questions about going into next year
1: will definitely be second straight off season where the receiver group and its need to rise up will be a prominent topic of conversation. In terms of players who impressed this year, uh, the All-Big Ten teams were announced uh, the last couple of days. We've got the defensive All-Big Ten performers on Tuesday, followed by the offensive guys on Wednesday. Some first-teamers from Penn State, both of them on the defensive side of the football, and both of them are consensus picks. The media comes up with their own All-Big Ten team. The coaches come up with another All-Big Ten team, and on each of those, Yitor Grossmatos, Micah Parsons featured. Micah Parsons becomes the first sophomore to win Big Ten Linebacker of the Year as well. Uh, he, he, this, this award started in 2011, so there's not a, a large history, but that's a decade, and he's the first sophomore to get that. Uh, it just goes to speak about what this kid has accomplished in his two years on campus, how excited people should be about his junior year, and we still have to wait on the, on the Buckets Award, one of six finalists for Linebacker of the Year at the national level.
2: Yeah, that was one, uh, you know, Micah's really, really good, uh, but I still don't think he's where he's going to be as a player. And for him to win that award this year, I thought it was kind of, I I think we talked about it on the last episode regarding the butt guesses, Hey, fluff up that resume this year because next year is the the year he's going to get it. Well, he went out and got it with the uh, the Big Ten Linebacker of the Year award. Uh, can't say I really saw that one coming, but uh, you know that's a, it's more more power to Micah because you know he's done some fantastic things, and I still think he's got a long way, or he's got a long way to go to fulfill his potential because he's a first round guy.
1: Yeah, 2018 Freshman All-American, Buckus finalist, Big Ten linebacker of the year. I think the transition to a new position has worked out pretty well for young Mr. Parsons. Second team picks, uh, all consensus here, the first three. Pat Fryermuth, KJ Hamler leading the way for Penn State offensive players, but also Steven Gonzalez, a consensus second team pick, and we talked about Steven Gonzalez during the offseason and about a guy who, you know, if you can get an elevated uh, level of performance and consistency from him, that'll do wonders for the offensive line. We saw the offensive line produce its best season, I think, under James Franklin during his tenure, and Gonzalez, his best year of of a lengthy career at Penn State. Some guy, uh, Someone who admitted to us last spring that he was very close to entering the 2019 NFL Draft, following McGovern and following Bates into the draft. He opted not to, and he's a guy who rededicated himself. And, and and along the way, it's been very clear the feedback from the coaching staff, uh, from fellow offensive linemen, and from Steven Gonzalez himself. Uh, he feels very at peace with that decision. And, hey, the, the proof is here. Uh, second team nod from both the coaches and the media.
2: Yeah, really happy for Steven. Um, this is a, a tough year for him in terms of uh, I don't know if it was told he was not good enough to make it to, to, to come out early. He turned around and, and, and if you remember early in the season he was still listed as a co-starter, I think, with Mike Miranda. He was, so yeah. I mean that was uh that was a wake up call. He started playing well. I think he really gelled with Michael Mennet beside him and they they ended up having a pretty good year.
1: Yeah, I predicted CJ Thorpe, second team all Big Ten preseason. Did, didn't quite get there, but maybe maybe I was one year ahead there. But congrats to Stephen Gonzalez, a guy we've enjoyed talking to and, and wishing him well. We got another month to cover these guys, but uh, very cool to see him get to this point. In uh, the coaches uh, All Big Ten team, Shaka Tony gets a second team nod. We we went over him just a second ago, and then third team guys all on defense here. Uh, two of them on the coaches team: Cam Brown at linebacker, Robert Windsor at defensive tackle, and then Tariq Castro Fields, to the surprise of many on our message boards, a media selection as a third team pick uh so, so there you have it honorable mentions really quickly on offense journey brown who came on strong in november three 100 yard rushing games in the course of the month sean clifford at quarterback will fries at tackle michael mennett at center and then honorable mentions on defense jan johnson at linebacker john reed at cornerback and then at safety both garrett taylor and lamont wade Yeah, said what I
2: said earlier about Menon. I thought he could have been a second team guy. Um, You usually don't go with uh, all. You know, as we saw on the defensive line, it was all defensive ends on the offense. I don't know if how many centers make it in there, but uh, I guess. Journey Brown, I mean, to be on this list uh, is, a, is a credit to him. He's really had a great uh, second half of the season. He's been exactly what they needed in that in, in that backfield. Of course, he's coming back next year, so that's really going to help uh, that entire running game, that entire offense. Uh, I just think, you know, for what he's been through, and we said it after the game the other day, for what he's been through, it's a heck of a bounce back for Journey Brown and, and really one that nobody saw coming. Going back, uh, and I know that we've harped on this before, but was I watching something else with Pat Fryermuth that he's the second best tight end in the Big Ten? Um, I, I just... I can't believe that 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 this happens again. I mean, we talked about the Mackey Award when this when this whole snub thing happened. You think, okay, he's still the best tight end in the Big, in the big Ten. He's still the guy that's going to come out, and, and Bryson Hopkins from Purdue comes out, wins the tight end of the year, which I didn't even know that was an award. I just assumed it was just the first team guy. Um, but if you if you don't know who Bryson Hopkins was, he caught one pass for three yards against uh, against Penn State when they visited back in October. Um, seven touchdowns, which is great. It's tough to argue with the, I mean, it's a numbers game. 61 catches, 830 yards. Now 10 catches, 140 yards against Maryland, eight catches, 142 yards and two touchdowns against Indiana. Um, so, I mean, it's the numbers are what they are, but Pat Frymuth is the best tight end in the conference. Come on now.
1: Bryson Hopkins was included in that semifinalist list for the Mackey award. By the way, I think when you were talking about that and harping on it a little bit last week, you said you were stunned that Frymuth was not on the finalist list for the Mackey award. That was a semifinalist list. He wasn't on Sean. Still, I was, I was so, forecasting. Yeah. No, it, yeah. it's even more perplexing. Yeah. He wasn't on the finalist list either. So, but next year, Hey, if, if he's looking for a little bit of an edge, he's not really the guy I think needs it, but you know, he was not the big 10, uh, first team tight end. He was not a Mackey Award semifinalist, and obviously there's the whole NFL draft and the money that lies beyond Penn State to to keep him motivated, so should not be lacking for any kind of edge entering his offseason. We'll be back with a conversation with Chris Hummer. Uh, He covers the national college football landscape for 24-7 sports, get into the college football playoff picture, talk national stuff, talk about James Franklin as a head coaching candidate and where he is in that pecking order, and additionally, a little bit of transfer portal news and, and where Chris kind of projects this offseason going not just at Penn State but across college football as it's year number two of the transfer portal in full effect. Stay with us. First, a quick word from a sponsor.
2: You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's
1: most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel. Streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals highlights and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players and brilliant goals with the UEFA champions league channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS sports app. We're going to go now to Chris Hummer, who covers national college football news and developments for 24-7 sports. And Chris has been all over the college football playoff race, uh, the bowl outlook, and, and all the kind of stuff you can imagine as we come down the final stretch uh, before we learn of everybody's postseason destinations. Uh, Chris, first off, I know it's a busy week for you. It, they're all pretty busy, but this is a especially uh, spotlighted one. So thank you for giving us some time on the Lions 24-7 podcast.
0: Yeah, man, I'm happy to. Anytime. It's a nice break from uh, all the coaching searches and transfer portal stuff, so I'm happy to hop on.
1: Uh, There's plenty of that to come, but what we've got ahead for us this weekend, Chris, a great schedule of games. I know Penn State football fans wish that myself and Sean were flying out to Indianapolis to cover the action at the Big Ten Championship game, but that's where I want to start with this Ohio State versus Wisconsin it's it's a two lost Badgers team uh, and an unbeaten Buckeye squad that tops all of the college football playoff um, what is your outlook on this game we saw these two teams play earlier a competitive game Ohio State then you know put the foot on the gas pedal in the third quarter and took off with that contest is there any reason to believe that this may turn out differently
0: I think the only thing you can look at is the way Jack Cohn played last week against Minnesota um, that came came in adverse conditions. He was on the road. It was literally a blizzard out there for portions of the game. And he played the best football of his career. If that Jack Cohn can show up against Ohio State, I think the game could be much closer given Wisconsin's defensive strengths and Jonathan Taylor and that offensive line. You can kind of lean on the Buckeye defense a little bit and uh, slow down the game. But that, that means Jack Cone has to play exceptional football for Wisconsin to have a chance. And I'm not really sure if I trust Jack Cone to do that at this point. It would take Jack Cone playing another one of those games and the defense playing out of its mind for the game to stay close.
1: Well, the Big Ten Championship will be the final one determined. That kicks off at 8 o'clock on Fox on Saturday. And one day earlier, a whole 24 hours earlier, we got the Pac-12 Championship game. And that one, that is one that could be uh, definitely an impact for Penn State football because a lot of people here circling the Rose Bowl as a, a go-to destination if Ohio State handles its business. If Wisconsin slides down beyond Penn State in the final college football rankings – a lot of people, you know, viewing Utah as a team that's going to make its case for one of the final college football playoff spots, but is, are we overlooking Oregon a little bit and their potential to win in Levi Stadium and Santa Clara and really shake things up even more?
0: Yeah, I, it's kind of weird. I kind of think people are just assuming Utah's going to win. And, I mean, Utah's the better team. They've been more consistent, but I'm a big believer in talent ceilings and kind of the roster-wide talent making a difference in terms of contention. And if you look at it, the 24-7 sports team to compo- talent composite, which essentially measures how talented a roster is uh, based on recruiting rankings, Utah's played in only two one-possession games this season, Washington and USC. Uh, they lost USC, obviously, on the road. And those are the only two teams they've played this season with top 20 rosters in terms of the 24-7 sports team talent composite. Oregon, of course, kind of fits that mold. They rank between 10 and 20 in those um Kind of rankings. And I think that makes a difference. Utah is a really, really sound football team. It's a really good football team. Kyle Whittington is among the best coaches in the country, but Oregon's going to be able to match up with Utah from a dude on dude perspective. And a lot of cases, Oregon's going to outmatch Utah. I know that defense has got probably five NFL pros on it for uh, the Utes, but Oregon's just got some guys across the board that are going to challenge Utah in a different way than we've seen for most of the season. So I fully expect that game to be close. I'm going to probably pick Utah. I trust them a little bit more. But when you've got a guy like Justin Herbert, who's drawn kind of first-round hype and as much talent on that defense as uh, Oregon has, I see no reason why Oregon can't pull that upset quite easily.
1: I want to let our listeners know, don't worry, I'm going to get into some Penn State spin on all these topics in just a moment. But want to go through this list a bit. Uh, Chris, when you look ahead at, at action starting off around noon, On Saturday, Utah will have a chance to state its case on Friday night uh, to be included in the college football playoff. And so will Oklahoma, matching up against Baylor for a second time in a very short span. Um, Baylor's only lost to Oklahoma. We know Oklahoma uh, was upset earlier in the year at Kansas State in a game that they try to make a furious comeback attempt. But two one-loss teams fighting for the Big 12 championship game. Are you of the mindset that an Oklahoma win, another one over Baylor, would be enough to leapfrog them over Utah uh, and put them in a spot to make the college football playoff? A reminder to our listeners, Oklahoma number six right now, Utah number five.
0: If you just base, base your answer on the committee's protocol, which is essentially when two teams are considered even at the margins, essentially there's not much difference between the two, which I think most people would argue there's not a huge difference between Oklahoma and Utah at this point. You would argue that Oklahoma's top 25 wins, of which they will have three by season's end, I believe, based on the current rankings, should be enough to put them in over Utah. Utah only has one. like, And that would be Oregon this weekend. Utah does not have a top 25 win to this point. Oklahoma's beaten Oklahoma State on the road. Oklahoma's beaten Baylor on the road. And if Oklahoma were to win Saturday, they will have beaten a top 10 Baylor team at a neutral site. So that would be three top 25 wins for Oklahoma away from home and you kind of trust them based on what you've seen over the years. Whereas Utah has their only chance Saturday, really, to make a statement. So in that case, I would probably project Oklahoma to leap Utah. But it's kind of been a weird year for the committee. I think there's been some inconsistencies across the board in terms of how they rank people. And Utah consistently slating ahead of uh, Baylor and Oklahoma probably should be a little worrisome to the entire Big 12 because other than the fact that Utah's one won pretty – like consistently and pretty like dominantly over the time. I don't really see a reason why Utah would rank ahead of Oklahoma at this moment yet. They have week after week after week. So that'll be a, it'll be a pretty compelling thing Sunday if those two teams manage to win.
1: And that'll be a conversation for debate. Another for debate will be, uh, what to do with these SEC squads? Alabama losing to Auburn clears things up a little bit in terms of the college football playoff picture. Really, a lot if you think about it. But Chris, Georgia versus LSU, both these teams—if the playoffs started today—they would be in. Of course, that is not the case. And uh, Georgia, one loss to South Carolina at home, one that as the season wore on got aggressively uglier. Uh, because of the way that because of the way the Gamecock schedule went on. I know it's a it's something that a lot of Penn State fans were talking about when, when you are talking about the one-loss Nittany Lions and the case that they could make, and you saw Georgia way up there. Why has Georgia had so much, I don't want to call it luck, but why have they had the committee's ear um, in terms of, of having such a bad one-loss and yet here they are at number four uh, going up against LSU in the SEC title game?
0: It just comes down to wins. I think I, Georgia's won ugly since that South Carolina game. Like Georgia's not fun to watch, to be perfectly honest. Georgia has its issues, but Georgia also has – wins over Notre Dame, Florida, and Auburn, all three of which I believe are top 11 teams, top 13 teams in the college football playoff rankings. So those wins in the committee's mind seem to outweigh that loss to South Carolina, which over time is kind of how the committees looked at things. Usually your wins mean more than your losses, unless you're like Ohio State last year when you get blown out by Purdue or Ohio State the year before when you get blown out by Iowa. Generally good wins outweigh good uh, bad losses. And Georgia, if it wins on Saturday, will reach the uh, college football playoff along with LSU. Uh, the committee's made that clear and uh, just kind of the reality of the situation.
1: Yeah, that would be bad news for some of those teams on the outside looking in right now at Georgia victory. and um, You mentioned LSU being able to lose and sticking around. You think that's regardless of, of, of any kind of quote-unquote style points? If uh, I don't see Georgia taking them to the woodshed, but you think regardless of the final score, LSU with a loss is in the Nash- is in the college football playoff, right?
0: Yeah, I I firmly believe LSU and Ohio State and even Clemson have clinched their spots in the college football playoff based on the way they've played. LSU already has wins over Auburn, Alabama, Florida, Texas, Texas A&M in just an absolutely like demolishing fashion. Unless they lose to Georgia by like 50, like I don't really see a way that LSU gets left out of the playoff.
1: You mentioned three of the four top teams you feel have clinched their spot. I know you're going to get the most pushback, and you know this too, about Clemson. They're a team that people are already questioning their status despite the unbeaten record. Um, I know we're not supposed to tie in what they accomplished last year, but we're all well aware of the win streak they are on. For you, why why do you think Clemson has separated itself in a way that it seems the majority do not believe they have? And I think there's a lot of folks who would— Love to see them lose to Virginia and be left out of this thing in the ACC championship, but it sounds like you don't think that would be the case.
0: Yeah, Davo Sweeney's not making it easy for people nationally to root for Clemson. This little old Clemson schtick that he has is kind of getting old, but I understand it. He's trying to motivate his team. But like Clemson, I think it just comes down to how they've beaten teams. Like I don't really care what your schedule looks like. If you're beating South Carolina by 35 on the road in a rivalry game, you're pretty good. Same thing when you just go to NC State and kick the crap out of them. Same thing when you beat a previously ranked Wake Forest team by 48 points. Like Clemson is just rolling. And if you look at like historic numbers, so average scoring margin is a number I like to use to kind of measure how strong a team is overall throughout the season. I think the amount you beat somebody by is a pretty good measure of how consistently dominant you are. The, and the BCS or college football playoff era Florida State, that 2013 team is number one. They beat teams by an average of about 42 points per game. Nobody's come close to that in history. Number two right now is Ohio State currently. I think they come in at like 38 points per game. And then number three in history right now would be the 2019 Clemson Tigers. So that kind of shows you how dominant Clemson's been from week one on. I realized there was a close call to North Carolina, but outside of that, they've just dominated teams. And I think based on what we know about Clemson and based on their talent, I don't know how you can look at them and not see one of the four best teams in the country, even if they do slip up against a ranked Virginia team.
1: Ohio State, let's say let's say both teams cover the spread in their own right. Ohio State, LSU, they win, they finish 13 and 0, they wait for the college football playoff announcement on Sunday. They know they're in, but if Chris Summers making the choice, who is number 1?
0: I think Ohio State is the most complete team in the country based on what we've seen. I uh, just offense defense special teams just like from a talent perspective ohio state is the most impressive team i've seen i think they'll stay number one uh if both of those teams cover the spread the only way i see that changing and if ohio state plays close to wisconsin and lsu just blows out georgia i think lsu would have a strong argument to jump but like let's just assume both teams cover i really do think ohio state holds on to that top spot based on their dominance from week one to week 14 they've just been the best team in the country in my opinion
1: the degrees of upsets uh, would vary among these conference championship games, but if you had to pick one favorite in these conference championship games to go down, I'm not saying that's going to be your prediction, but who do you think is most susceptible to losing on Saturday or Friday night?
0: I think it's Utah. I really, I really do. I just think Oregon is more naturally talented. I know Oregon's not necessarily better, but that's a game that we saw Oregon win last year with a kind of a rock fight. I think Oregon is going to come in confident there. I think Justin Herbert it could be a difference maker against that secondary. I I really I do I'm not I'm not picking Oregon but I certainly picked Oregon to cover what I believe is a 7 point spread right now. I I think that's going to be really close.
1: This Penn State team is going to be sitting and watching and waiting and, and and until Sunday to find out what its fate is. It seems the College Football Playoff Committee thinks very highly of the Nittany Lions. They they dropped only a couple of spots, losing to Ohio State on the road. A game they were down twenty-one nothing at one point. It ended up being a 28-17 game. Uh, and and also they made Ohio State the number one team after beating Penn State, uh, leapfrogging LSU at that time. How do you kind of uh, view Penn State in light of the committee's uh, assessment of them through these uh, few weeks, month or so now, and what do you think that maybe means for them on Sunday?
0: I won't lie. I've thought the committee's overranked Penn State a little bit, but I understand why. I mean, Penn State has two really solid top 25 wins over Iowa and Michigan, Iowa being on the road. They've played Ohio State closer than anybody else this season. And losing to Minnesota doesn't look great following that Wisconsin game, but that was on the road. It was the biggest game at Minnesota in probably 50 years. P.J. Fleck had two weeks to prepare for that game. I think based on what we've seen this year, Penn State's not exactly the most dominant team. They're not even the most fun team to watch. Like the offense has really struggled late in the season. I believe the offense has dropped somewhere in the 50s in average yards per play, which is just not very good when you consider some of the talent Penn State has offensively. And I love watching KJ Hamler as much as anybody, but sometimes that offense can be um, can be a little uh, a little tough to watch. But you have to – Penn State has the wins. They've played Ohio State closer than anybody else. And I think based on what they've done this season and based on where the committee ranked them on uh, Tuesday, Penn State is most likely going to head to the Rose Bowl, just kind of given what we've seen, unless Wisconsin plays Ohio State really close, I think – Penn State's probably earned that. I think Penn State's wins are as good as Wisconsin's. And James Franklin's done an exceptional job with a really young team this year. And uh, I think he deserves a lot of credit for that.
1: Well, team that had the over-under on win totals uh, back in August at eight and a half to, to go get a shot to win number 11 in Pasadena. I uh, got to say that that's ahead of expectations for this 2019 Penn State team. Chris, we've heard you kind of break down these conference matchups. Uh, when, when you look ahead, as the dust settles, what do you envision will be one through four in the college football playoff?
0: I think we're looking at Ohio State, LSU, Clemson, and Oklahoma. I could, be, I could be wrong about that fourth spot. I think the top three are pretty locked in, but I, I do think Oklahoma will leapfrog um, Utah at the end of the day. Uh, I think Oklahoma is going to win by double digits in Arlington. I'll be there uh, on Saturday, and I think that's going to be enough for Oklahoma to get into the playoffs for the third straight year.
1: Uh, it would be interesting. It would set up a battle between two transfer quarterbacks, Jalen Hurts and, and Justin Fields. And then, by the way, this would be three of four quarterbacks in the playoff who who started off their college career somewhere else and then wound up uh, helping carry their team to, to great heights here in 2019. While we have you, Chris, you mentioned how busy you are covering the coaching searches and, and, and all the rumors that swirl around the nation this time of year. Uh, once again, it's something that I think Penn State fans have grown accustomed to. It's going to come with continued success. James Franklin in the spotlight uh, as a very uh, uh, as a very desirable option out there. And Florida State is the program this year that's that's been mentioned. So, uh, Southern Cal they'll be retaining Clay Helton, but of course we heard uh, you know w- rumors about maybe Southern Cal making it a push for him. Texas A and M was mentioned a couple years ago before they got Jimbo Fisher. I mean, is is James Franklin just about up? there with anybody when you talk about wish lists right now in college football
0: yeah I think once you kind of get past Urban Meyer uh, or Bob Stoops guys who've won a national championship and are out of football right now when you're looking at a guy who can change your program I think James Franklin has to be first on your list along with maybe I, I would throw Matt Rule in there right now I guess a couple guys with Penn State ties but given what James Franklin did at Vanderbilt which is a win at a place nobody else had before given what he did at Penn State which is essentially transform a program that had a myriad of issues uh based on scandal into an annual contender in the big 10 i don't think there are many better program builders in college football right now than james franklin i think your list is something like nick saban Dabo sweeney and then james franklin is probably right there in that next tier along with guys like kirby smart or lincoln riley chris peterson would have been there but uh, obviously uh his sudden retirement changes things. But yeah, I think James Franklin is a guy you're going to continue to see come up in these talks and these rumors because he's that well-respected in the coaching industry and programs and administrations look at him as a guy who can bring an instant credibility and an instant level of success. And uh, I think that's a testament to Penn State for going out and hiring the right person. But as I'm sure Penn State fans have gotten very used to, it also means year after year you're going to hear his name come up in these coaching searches, and it wouldn't surprise me if NFL teams started kind of sniffing around James Franklin as well. I think he's well-respected in the scouting community based on how he develops and how he runs his program. So I think uh, y'all have reported that a uh, contract extension is coming or potentially coming very soon, and uh, I think you're going to probably see James Franklin leverage a couple more contract extensions by the time he lives Penn State because he's going to certainly have kind of the pull to do so.
1: Yeah, indications here in State College, Chris, certainly point toward an extension in the works, perhaps by the end of this week. But uh, I think it's fair to say if they continue to win, if if they knock on the door of the playoffs or finally break through that door in 2020, guess what? His name's going to come up again for jobs that open up and and so on and so forth. And Penn State will need to continue to come to the table with options to keep him around. Um, So moving ahead, last topic I wanted to touch with you, Chris, because it is about to go full throttle. I know it's already there, uh, but it's about to take another step. The transfer portal 2.0. This is the second year that we're going to, try to wrap our our minds around this uh one guy already entering it from the penn state roster justin Shoulder, and, and a very notable player at that former top ranked wide receiver when you look at 2018 rankings for 24 7 sports a five-star prospect has not been able to put it together has started several games though as a as a redshirt freshman he's in the portal we're, we'll wait for other names at Penn State, but at large, across the country, what are you anticipating? We had a pretty long conversation about this last summer when we were kind of getting used to the idea of it. Do you think it's going to be more of a thing here in, in, in the upcoming winter, or did we see uh, you know, the, the mass exodus last year, and you think maybe uh, it's going to get scaled back a little bit?
0: I think it might scale back only slightly, uh, just because if you kind of look at how the portal shook out last year, the majority of guys who left, especially from bigger programs who were bigger recruits at one point, either ended up in the G5 or at the FCS level. A guy like Justin Shorter is going to find a soft landing spot no matter what. He'll have his options. He's that talented. But kind of that next tier of guys is going to have to fight for a small amount of spots. Um, you'll see some programs aggressively attack the transfer portal. Illinois is a great example of that in the Big Ten, what Lovey Smith did this year transformed his program completely, and uh, I think I've even seen them kind of brand themselves as Graduate Transfer U uh, over the last couple weeks, which I think is smart in this era. So in that way, I there will still be tons of players transferring. There were over 2,000 players in the FBS who left last year. I would expect that number to be somewhere around the same, maybe slightly less, but uh, this is a thing that's here. I believe uh, I certainly had a large part in tracking the portal on Monday. We had over 70 FBS players enter that day. Uh, we've had about 20 a day since, including another 5 or 10 this morning. And there's going to be just kind of benchmarks throughout the off season where we see more guys go in. Once they have uh, coaches sit down with their players for evaluations after the season, you'll see it happen. After conference championship weeks, you'll see it happen. When coaches leave to take other jobs, you'll see it happen. When coaches come in, you'll see it happen. You'll see it happen after spring ball and the middle of spring ball and then again before fall camp. Uh, the transfer portal is a thing that's here to stay, and I think we're going to see a constant trickle of names as the months and weeks go by. And we'll see I, – I forgot to mention this, but the NFL draft, once people get their kind of evaluations back, you're going to see a couple of guys in smaller schools potentially jump into the portal as well. So this is going to be a thing that uh, is just kind of the new reality of college football. It's our mini version of free agency, and uh, it certainly created a lot of buzz.
1: Well, no site covers the transfer portal like 24-7 sports. Chris Hummer is a big part of that coverage, and he's a big part of the coverage at large for the college football conference championships upcoming. As he said, he'll be at the Big 12 title matchup between Baylor and Oklahoma. Major ramifications there. Hey, Chris, thank you so much for giving us some time here on a Thursday morning. We look forward to seeing how things play out through Sunday, and uh, we we'll hopefully get you back on the podcast sooner rather than later.
0: Yeah, man. Thanks so much for having me on.
1: Thanks again to Chris for his time. Breaking down all the action, you can uh, follow his coverage on 247sports.com. A good week to be in tune uh, with what's going on across the college football landscape. Sean, it's time for us to serve up our predictions. We don't have a Penn State game to get to here. Uh, we we'll, we got that in a few weeks from now, the last one of this season. But uh, curious to hear your thoughts, uh, and I'll share mine on these conference championship games. And we'll start with the Friday night matchup in Northern California. Uh, number five, Utah. Number 13, Oregon. There is a, a train of thought, although it is certainly not consistent, that Utah can punch its ticket for the college football playoff. Potentially with a win here, I'm not necessarily sold on that. I'm also going for an upset here. I'm going to say Oregon wins this one. I know they're about a touchdown underdog, and Utah has been the more impressive team. Call it a hunch. I'm picking the Ducks to win.
2: All right. I'll call your hunch and call your bluff. (laughs) I'm going to go with Utah. They're a really good team. I think that we're really underselling how good Utah has been, uh, especially the last half of the season. I have them winning. Um, I have them winning and getting jumped by Oklahoma. Now we'll get to that game next, obviously, but you know, some drama to throw in there. And then of course, uh, you know, Utah or Oregon will end up in the Rose bowl, which is probably the most interesting thing from a Penn state perspective outside of that big 10 title game.
1: So it sounds like we're both on board with Oklahoma in the big 12 championship game. That's number six, Oklahoma versus number seven, Baylor, a rematch, uh, Baylor's only loss this season was to Oklahoma. And for a while, it looked like they were going to put on a show. And Matt Rule was going to be further anointed as a rising coaching star. And he certainly deserves all those accolades. But it would look much different if Baylor had held on to a big lead against Oklahoma that night instead. Here they are. Um, and, and I'm with you. I think the Sooners handle business. Jalen Hurts uh, is a big-time player. And I think you know he's kind of made for moments like this. He's faced them before. Uh, and I think the Sooners will will win this, and I do think they'll continue to play meaningful football beyond this game as well.
2: Matt Rule has done a hell of a job. I think they're they're a little outmanned here. Of course, they had a great, great start against Oklahoma. That can, that can wear on your psyche when you give up a lead that big. Um, and of course, Oklahoma seems to be clicking pretty well. He didn't have much trouble with Oklahoma State and Bedlam. So 8.5 is a lot of points, but uh, still going to go with Oklahoma to win. I don't know if they'll cover, but they'll, I think they'll win.
1: And then the game that has potential to really screw things up if Georgia pulls off an an upset in Atlanta. The Bulldogs taking on LSU, uh, LSU number two in the college football playoff rankings behind only Ohio State. Maybe a chance to leapfrog Ohio State with a win in Atlanta. That's to be determined, but I'm going with the Tigers here. I think they're going to win convincingly. Georgia for me, I think they've been ranked too high since the college football playoff rankings came out. They lost to a South Carolina team that went down in flames uh, for the rest of the season after they won in Athens. And Georgia just has not been, uh, you know, has not had that kind of dominant stretch that we've seen from them the last couple of years when they were right there in the mix uh, as they are this year. I think LSU will handle business and, and the Joe Burrow dream season marches on.
2: It looks like uh, DeAndre Swift is going to play in this one. Uh, Georgia's defense is really good. I, I was talking to a college coach who thought they had the best defense in the SEC, and that includes you know a pretty good one at Auburn and you know some other schools down there. But uh, I do agree that LSU will win. I, I think it'll be close. Um, I don't know that Georgia has what they need on offense to get it done uh, in, in in those clutch situations. Uh, you know, Swift being there, uh, if he does play, will will help them. But uh, yeah, I got, I'm right there with you. I think LSU wins this one. They got the bet. They got the quarterback play
1: and then Virginia finally presents the major major test we've all been waiting for with Clemson the three loss 23rd ranked Cavaliers play Clemson in the ACC championship game I say that in jest that has been the story of the season for Clemson who have they played why should they be here well they haven't lost a game yet I don't think they'll lose again here and I think they'll go to yet another college football playoff and outlast their old rival in these uh, postseason matchups Alabama uh, and get to another one Dabo
2: You're good. Everybody thinks you're good. (laughs) Everybody is, 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 I just, I don't understand it. It's the same thing every week from this guy. And he's really, I mean, he was likable at one point, but now it's just, uh, it's crazy to think about. I, I, you know, Clemson rolls in this one. I don't want to spend any more time on it. Clemson rolls in it, but just the, 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 the disrespect angle. Come on, man, you're going to make the playoff. You're going to make the playoff no matter what.
1: It's worked so far, so I guess don't, don't quit what, what has worked for them, but I'm with you on that. The Big Ten Championship game is the final uh, kickoff of the night, 8 p.m. on Fox in Ohio State, atop the pole, and Wisconsin number eight. This is the one that you're watching closely for Penn State. Will they move past Wisconsin, get that Rose Bowl bid, Will there be some kind of crazy upset? I don't see it happening. I think it's maybe similar to the first game these two teams played, where Wisconsin did a pretty nice job job controlling possession um, and, and and extending drives and, and keeping Ohio State's offense off the board. But eventually, these Buckeyes get rolling. It may happen in the first quarter. It may wait to the third quarter, like it did when they met in October. But I think ultimately the Buckeyes, uh, you know, end up winning this one with a comfortable cushion. I agree with you.
2: This is uh, this might be better than any Urban Meyer coach team. Uh, uh, this... Ryan Day's team is, is more complete. They, uh, we saw him in person a couple of weeks ago in Colum- against uh, Penn State in Columbus. And Penn State did a nice job, but I think that uh, I think that Ohio State's got this one. And, and if you're Penn State, like I said, you won at 12 points and above. Um, just kind of reinforce the way that you played them in their own house. So probably anything in double digits is, is fine. And I think Ohio State does get that win in double-digit fashion.
1: So what are we thinking? Top four, Sean. Uh, one through four. I, I, I have trouble just at the top with, with what the LSU win over Georgia versus what the Ohio State win over Wisconsin would do in the committee's mind I I think Ohio State stays at one if if it's a blowout performance and that's what I anticipate so I'll say one Ohio State two LSU three Clemson and four Oklahoma it sounds like you're thinking something similar
2: yeah I think that's uh, that's pretty much it Um, I'm curious to see where that uh, LSU Clemson game could end up um, and, and, and really, I mean, it, it, it's about matchups. It's about putting the top team that you think, I mean, th- you could think that they're, you know, the top team and, you know, still slot them number two. I, I don't know. It's, it, it's so crazy how this stuff works because we're, we're talking about all these subjective different things. And then all of a sudden it's going to turn around and, and screw somebody, probably Utah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it'll be fun to watch. And I, I think we have the same top four there.
1: I gave, I gave the playoff committee a nice scenario in, in which Utah loses to Oregon. You did not, and that is going to make for uh, one angry team, whether it's in Oklahoma or, or Utah or a Baylor, if they were to beat the Sooners on Saturday. We'll find out. We'll see how things settle. Um, and then we'll talk about the matchups moving ahead and, and of course, the Penn State bowl game. Um, in terms of recruiting, Sean, there is quite a bit going on right now. Coaches are taking advantage of the end of the regular season, hitting the recruiting trail very hard and, uh, once again, logging major miles. Yep, they're all over the place.
2: Started out uh, James Franklin started out in North Jersey talking to Amin Vanover. Of course, North Jersey had a little bit of snow this week, so kind of derailed some of those plans, but they've been all over the place uh Tampa, uh, Jerry Smith started in Tampa. Uh, J Sider has been all over the place. They've been in, uh, put a, put a concentrated effort on the DMV area on Wednesday. They were at Damatha and good Council and Gonzaga. So just, uh, hitting a lot of the regular spots, um, hitting, uh, a, 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 you know, some 2020 targets, um, Theo Johnson and Ricky, or excuse me, uh, Tyler Bowen and Ricky Ronnie went to see Theo Johnson on Tuesday. So um, it's uh, it, it's that time of year where you're getting around. You're going to see these uh, offers come out to the underclassmen um, for, from everywhere. Um, so it's a, it's an entertaining time of year, but yeah, Penn State has been all over the place. Um, it, it's not so much in, in, in the past. You see more about locking down the current class, Um, in terms of uncommitted guys now they're just uh getting in getting comfortable with the committed guys doing their in-home visits uh and then moving on and stopping by those schools of those 2021 kids because you can talk to the 2020 kids 2021 uh, kids you can bump into so it's a little bit different uh it's not as much of an evaluation period it is uh shake the hands of the coach and and see the players see the parents and all that kind of stuff so um it's an entertaining time of the year but yeah they've been all over the place it's been fun to track
1: actually our VIP members can check out that tracker. Sean's been keeping that updated on our site. Uh, so head on over. And if you're not a VIP member as well, again, remember a new annual subscriber is getting 50% off to jump on board through Monday. So take advantage just in time for the final push to signing to the early signing period, which Two weeks away, Sean, and and, uh, and and we'll get to that in a second, but 2021 very quickly is emerging as the focal point in terms of recruiting coverage and uh, a pretty big opportunity for Penn State just one week removed from the regular season. They're getting in recruiting mode and, and they're doing it on home turf this weekend.
2: Yeah, as I mentioned, when I kind of talked myself in three circles uh, in the last, uh, in the last little segment, um, yeah, 2021 visit weekend. It's kind of a DMV type junior day. Uh, Kayla Williams, five star top quarterback, probably the top overall player on Penn State's board, uh, going to come up for a visit. He was just down at LSU. I think LSU leads here, but I think Penn State's got an opportunity to, to sort of sell him on their plan. Um, this is st- they, they, they like the Penn State staff, of course. Location works for them. Now, I, I as having said that, I don't see Williams ending up at Penn State, but. But they're gonna shoot their shot this weekend. See what happens. I think the big one this weekend: Landon Landon Tangwall, uh, the offensive lineman from Good Counsel. Uh, Penn State leads on the twenty four seven crystal ball. I think that's uh, I think there's a good reason that they do. Um, I don't know that he's ready to end it or anything like that. He's talked about taking official visits in the spring, but I do think Penn State is a solid leader right now, and getting him up to campus anytime they can is a good thing. We've got a couple other guys that are coming up uh, just uh, confirmed uh, right before we came on. Ziggle Wheatley from from Archbishop Spalding in Maryland, but they they're looking to get some of those top regional guys up, uh, get them around each other. You know, they've got a little bit more juice than they did at this time last year, so. Get them up, get them around the players, get them around the uh, you know the the staff, and see what happens. The staff, of course, is going to stay on the road. They're going to go to uh, uh, Maryland State title games this weekend, PIAA state title games. Not that one, not the one that you're thinking of, um, but other PIAA state title games. So uh, it's going to they're going to be in and out all weekend. But uh, it's a good group that's set to come up and check out Penn State this weekend.
1: On the 2021 recruiting cycle, uh, Penn State carrying three verbal commitments right now. Uh, Jacksonville, Florida tight end Nick Elksness. Uh, Cincinnati, uh, Cincinnati younger brother of Sean Clifford, Liam Clifford, a guy who could play defensive back, could play wide receiver when he gets to Happy Valley. And then Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, offensive lineman Nate Bruce. So they'll look to continue to, to build towards building that class uh, with these visitors on campus on Saturday. And We'll have you uh, updated with, with fallout from those and conversations with recruits. Of course, our 24-7 sports. Sports, uh, recruiting Network is all over uh, these visits all the time. A couple things to look for here on Thursday night. Hopefully this will be up in time for you to check it out. Um, on CBS Sports Network, you will see a couple of future Penn State Dittany lines playing in the Junior College National Championship, which is taking place in Kansas. Lackawanna College playing Mississippi Gulf Coast. It's Lackawanna's first appearance in this title game. And it's also a, a, an appearance of, of Norval Black, who is a wide receiver committed to Penn State. And then Jair Brown. Brown, a defensive back committed to Penn State. So chance for people to get early eyes on them and and obviously an opportunity for them to end their uh, junior college careers on top.
2: Yeah, I'm interested to see how those guys play on this stage. I mean, obviously it's a little different. I think they played in a, a in a bowl game in Arizona last year or Nevada or something like that, but a little bit different when you're actually playing with a national title on the line. Um, so yeah, I'm interested to see how Jair Brown, this, this game's going to be on the CBS sports network. Um, so it's going to be worth checking out Jair Brown, Norval Black. We've seen some good things from both of them this year. Really interested to see Brown. I think Brown is a guy that could come in and, and, and make a ripple in the depth chart right away. Um, still, still interested to see where Norval Black can do that because if we talked about the receivers earlier, but I think Jair Brown, if you're looking at the two right now is probably the guy going to be the guy that has the uh, quickest impact in happy Valley.
1: Second straight year, Penn State will bring in two Lackawanna college products. Last year, signing offensive lineman Anthony Wigan, who redshirted, and then Jaquan Brisker, who saw substantial action at safety. Uh, quick note here three Penn State commits uh, getting significant 24 7 sports rankings bump, Sean. And uh, I'll start with a guy who jumped from the lowest to the highest. And just had a story up on on Lines 24-7 about this. Zariah Fisher, uh, Western Pennsylvania standout, committed. Uh, A couple weeks into the season, a guy who, when they offered him, he was in the 800s in terms of a ranking right now he's at 164 in 24/7 sports composite he has climbed from number 80 from 84 rating to a 92 rating over the course of the last six seven months and Barton Simmons uh, upon rev- uh, who's uh, the scouting director at 24/7 sports upon reviewing his senior film, Thinks he may be able to stick a linebacker, although he's got him slotted as a weak side defensive end. And he is number nine nationally now among weak side defensive end prospects and the number three recruit in the state of Pennsylvania. Yeah, it's a
2: big bump for Fisher and his composite's going to go up because I think rivals just bumped him a couple of points in their system as well. So um, that's a that's certainly a good thing. Fisher, probably a guy that's uh, I, I don't know if I would call him an underrated get or a, maybe a forgotten man in this class, but. Heck of a football player, a guy that I think can come in and play maybe special teams early. Uh, I'm curious to see, and Barton mentioned it, can he stick at linebacker? I, I don't think that's in the cards long term, but I, I do think that he has the athletic ability to start there and play. And, and when I say start, I mean, begin, begin his career there and, and play a little bit and get into the rotation, maybe as a third teamer or something like that. I do think eventually his upside is at defensive end. He's got tremendous length. He, he's got the length of a guy that's about six foot five. Um, so be interesting to see how his career trajectory takes off. Um, you know, we mentioned I think we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but it'd be interesting to compare him to maybe a Nick Tarburton who was a linebacker in high school. Tarburton, I don't think, was as fast. I think it was a, kind of an immediate change to put him at defensive end. Um, Fisher, you could probably see him play a year at linebacker and then eventually make that change. Um, because I think this kid is uh, you know, I, I don't want to say he's an athletic freak, but you know, when he starts lifting, when he gets into a, a proper nutrition program, I think the weight's gonna come on. I mean, he's about 250. 45 pounds right now so I think that he's going to continue to get bigger and I I don't see him staying as a two-point stance guy.
1: I'm pretty sure uh, Tarburton spent about three spring practices at linebacker before making that transition, so it was not a long stay in the linebacker room for him. Um, if you think the running back room is crowded now, wait until next year, because Holmes will be part of that. Uh, he jumps up 13 spots; his ranking goes up, or his rating goes up, 91 to 92. He's now 162 overall in the country. And then the other guy who gets a big bump here, Sean Curtis Jacobs, from number 64 to number 34, he is definitely knocking on the door of five-star territory, and his rating is up to. Number uh, is up to 97, I should say. That is uh, pretty easily the highest rating among all Penn State commits when you look at the way 24 7 Sports evaluates them.
2: Yeah, and he's up to number forty-five in the composite after the latest uh, uh, composite update. So, I mean, that's a that's a good spot. I mean, if he, he's, I believe, an Under Armour All-American, so he's going to go down there, and we're going to see what happens uh, when he gets into that uh, that deep pool down there with a ton of talent. Um, also, uh, you got guys that uh, you know can also see their their rating go up. Parker Washington it got a big bump on rivals. Um, Keandre Lambert. Uh, they moved him up into the top 250, I believe, but I think he dropped in terms of position ranking, which is just crazy because he's like the 57th ranked wide receiver and the 240-something player in the country, so I guess they think in that draft, every four kids that are drafted is going to be a wide receiver, so I don't know um, how that works out, but uh, you're going to see some some guys go up. Jaden Dotton, uh, we dropped him on 24-7 Sports a couple of weeks ago. I think he, he's going to drop in the composite as well, probably be a, a high three-star. It uh, doesn't change the prospect he is, obviously, but uh, be uh, interesting to see how that impacts the uh, the class rank. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you, you look, we're two weeks out, 28 commits, of course, still on guys like Theo Johnson, Sean Martin committed to to West Virginia over the weekend, uh, but you're, you're still seeing some other guys that uh, sort of on the fringe of the radar. Jalen Berger's still out there. Penn State went to go see him on Monday, but his school was closed, didn't get to see him, so the, the, them's the breaks this time of year, um, especially in the Northeast, so we'll see what happens. I think there's uh, not many fireworks here, but uh, still, I mean, It's one that uh, that bears watching all the way up until signing day.
1: I think we had our fill of fireworks this summer, Sean, uh, with this 2020 recruiting class, the kind of departures and entrances that were going on in June and July. And and we'll see. It looks like a pretty neat and tidy, uh, for the most part, stretch to National Signing Day. But behind the scenes, it is very rarely that uh, when the staff is trying to get this thing to the finish line, get pen to paper. Uh, We will learn a lot more in a couple weeks, follow our coverage leading up to that, get to know more about these prospects, and, and get to know some of the other targets that may still be hanging out there. Uh, Sean, anything else to add? I, I want to make sure our listeners know we're, we're reverting back to our uh, non-game week schedule for, for the duration here, uh, going back to one episode a week. Try to bring that sometime midweek every week for you. Uh, but anything else to add on this episode?
2: Not particularly. We'll see what happens. I'm excited to watch some championship football this weekend. Uh, I'm excited to see where Penn State ends up. Of course, we'll, we'll probably talk about it early next week with the with the bowl, but uh, still some intriguing opportunities out there for the Nittany Lions on the recruiting trail. Check it out. Uh, our coaches on the road thread is just a, it, It's one of those things where, you know, we don't uh, cycle a ton of uh, front-page stuff go through there, but there's always updates on those coaches on the road. So if you happen to check it out, uh, there's, you know, we're adding visitors in there. We're adding where the coaches are. We're adding, you know, What's, uh, what's the latest buzz on some of these other guys? So it's uh, definitely one of the more interesting threads uh, this time of year. So I do encourage you to check it out and, and retain the information when you do check it out. <laughs> that seems to be something I, I, I have to say. I probably shouldn't have to, but I, I have to
1: say. Well, thanks to Sean for the PSA there. Thanks to Chris Hummer uh, for joining us for a lengthy conversation on the National College Football Conversation. And thanks to to my body for holding off on too many coughs. It's been a rough week with the coughing fits. So hopefully, I'm glad we were able to sneak in an episode here. Uh, And moving forward, we'll be back with one episode a week. And next time, we'll know Penn State's next opponent and the bowl destination and hopefully have our flights scheduled. For now, uh, I'm Tyler Donahue. On behalf of Sean Fitz, wishing you all the best and a great week ahead. This is the Lions 24-7
0: Official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.